Welcome to Midweek, a place where we dive deep into Scripture. So grab your Bible, a pen, and a notebook, and get ready to study God's Word. Okay, if you guys want to turn to uh, Daniel chapter 12, this is our last teaching in Daniel. We will be leaving this book. We'll finish tonight, and uh, we're going to move on next week. We're going to start with the Old Testament book of Joshua. We're going to look at Joshua as he goes in to take uh, the promised land, taking over for Moses. So that begins next Tuesday night. Um, this chapter will take us into the last half of the three and a half year tribulation period, which we've looked at quite a bit in this book. Uh, but it'll take us even a little bit beyond that. I won't go into great teaching beyond that because that's a whole nother um, can of worms to open up teaching wise. And I want to get right to it because um, I, I do want to finish tonight. I want to get through this. So if you're in Daniel chapter 12, uh, we're calling this one Israel and the end of time. So Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1 says this. Now at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people will arise and there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book will be rescued. Now Daniel, uh, in the interpretation of, the, of this vision Daniel is receiving, and, and remember he's prayed for interpretation, and they're giving him some interpretation. He says, there's going to be a time of distress coming. Now, the question is, you know, what, what time is, are they talking about? What's going on here? Well, he goes on to say, not Daniel, but the, this person interpreting here, um, he goes on to say that, um, that it will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation. Now the nation is Israel until that time. So using, so to try to interpret that statement right there, it's very simple and we'll interpret it uh, this way. And that is, we'll use a method interpretation and that is that you interpret the Bible with the, with the Bible. Always do that. Never try to interpret the Bible without the Bible. Let it interpret itself. There's other rules of interpretation that you use when you read the Bible. Some of those rules, or one rule is that you always interpret the obscure with the obvious. There are an obscure verse here, an obscure verse there that you can read, and we know nothing of what that verse actually is talking about. But don't try to make a big doctrine of that because you don't know. Let what's obvious throughout the rest of Scripture interpret that at that time. So always watch your rules of interpretation. One of your big rules also is what did it mean to the original hearers? What did it mean to them? Not what did it mean to you and I because you and I live in a different culture and we look at things a different way, right? Well, they looked at things a certain way. So what did it mean to them? And once I find out what it meant to them, then and only then can I take that and what we call the application bridge and I cross the application bridge and now I can come and take and preach an application 
from that. I always tell you, I'm going to give you the what first. You've heard me say that before, right? Well, the what is what it actually means. Then I give you the what. Once I give you that, then I'm going to go to, now let's go into the application of it, all right? And so that's the way you, you want to watch yourself as you interpret. So what does he mean uh, by a time of distress that's never occurred? And this is talking about the nation of Israel. So keep your marker here. We're going to go back and forth into Matthew and Revelation a, a bit tonight as we conclude. But go to Matthew chapter 24. We have visited Matthew 24 countless times in this uh, this document of Daniel, because they just coincide with each other very well. And in Matthew chapter 24, and we're going to start at verse 15. We've read it so many times before. I'm going to go 15 to 22, and it says here, this is Jesus speaking, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Remember we have stated that when Jesus said that, he is also affirming that Daniel, this document, is a valid document. Jesus is quoting from Daniel. That's a big, big deal right there. So we see the abomination of desolation. Verse 16, Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Whoever is on the housetop must not go down to get the things out of that are in the house. Remember we called that, in that day it's called the road of the... Roofs, yeah, that's right, good, you remember that from last week. Uh, verse 18, whoever is in the field must not turn back to get his cloak. In other words, you better get out of Dodge fast when you see the abomination and desolation. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babes in those days. But pray that your flight will not be in the winter or on a Sabbath. Sabbath meaning he's talking specifically to Jewish people. And winter, you hope it's not in the winter when you have to flee because it's cold. And by the way, Jerusalem is like, 4,000 foot elevation. It gets really cold there in the wintertime. I've been there in February. It was cold. It was almost going to snow that night. Verse 21. For then there will be a great tribulation. Here it comes. Such has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now. Nor ever will. Watch this statement. Unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Now, putting this whole thing together, um, the abomination of desolation talked about here. This starts the last three and one-half years of the great tribulation. Good, good. Now, so this is the time of distress. And Jesus even said, such as the world has never seen. The, The person talking to Daniel says, such as the world has never seen. It will be so bad. And specifically, this is speaking, yeah, to the world at that time in the tribulation period, but it's talking to the nation of Israel. Now, let's think about that. Think of the magnitude of the statement. Okay, Daniel has, as a Jewish person, he has now personally experienced the nation of Israel experiencing a siege by Nebuchadnezzar, correct? He's totally taken everything out of the temple back to Babylon. Daniel was deported with many others. So that was pretty bad. Nation of Israel. And then Daniel, as we've studied multiple times in Daniel, he's prophesied, got the vision of Antiochus Epiphanes IV. Remember him? How he, in 168 BC, he comes to Jerusalem. He's upset because the Roman ships drove him back, humiliated him. He comes back. 
And he takes the temple, slaughters a pig inside the temple, smears the blood of the pig in there, puts up a uh, statue of Zeus. He says that you cannot practice your laws. He cannot practice your religion. You cannot do any of those things punishable by death. By death. You can't even circumcision your boys, which is the covenant relationship with God. So they've seen that. And many, many people died there because he killed 80,000, took 40,000 slaves, sold another 40,000 off as slaves. So they saw that. And then in 70 AD, back up 40 years, Jesus is sitting there at the temple. Remember that? And he's looking at it across the way and he tells the disciples, do you see these, these buildings and everything here? Not one stone will be left standing upon another which will not be torn down. And we know, because we can look back and Jesus looking forward, that when he's saying that around 33 AD, that in 70 AD, that temple would be destroyed. And it was. It was torn down stone upon stone by the siege of the Romans. And like a million people died. And that's where the Jews fled to Masada. And that's that whole story there. So they, that happened. And then in, 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 in not so long ago, uh, we saw, uh, some of us weren't born, I wasn't born, but Hitler and his persecution during the Holocaust of the Jews. And so you've seen the Jews suffer and suffer and suffer and suffer throughout history. And yet, this guy is telling Daniel about the nation of Israel. There will be a time of distress such as you've never seen before. In other words, if you thought the, the, the things in the past for the nation of Israel were bad, man, you ain't seen nothing yet. Because there's one more massive event that the Antichrist will bring because he really wants to exterminate the Jews. He's always, the devil's always wanted to exterminate the Jews because they're God's chosen people. But there's good news, okay? If you have your notes, bullet point, here it is. Michael is the protector of Israel, if you're taking notes. And, those little, and the outlines I give you at the door. Michael is a protector of Israel. So now we find out in verse 1, going back to Daniel, that Michael stands guard. He's, remember Michael is what kind of an angel? He's an archangel. It means he's a chief angel. He's the chief angel. And so, as he stands guard in verse 1, he's standing guard over the people. Everyone who is found written in the book will be rescued. So, he's standing guard over the Jewish people. And remember, this is all tribulation period stuff. And he's standing guard over, uh, probably, in my opinion, people that are getting saved during the tribulation. Anybody that turns in there. So, Michael's a protector. Now let me just tell you, just from personal experience, and you know you have your personal experiences too. New Beginnings is 31 years old, heading towards 32. I have seen God protect us do some pretty bad stuff. I have seen God hold it together when I honestly didn't think it was going to be held together. When things were bad, and these things were a lot of times out of our control. It was nothing we even did wrong. But there were some bad times. Some of you have been here long enough to know what some of those bad times were. That they lasted a long, quite a bit. And it was really tough times. I mean, even coming out of COVID, or being in COVID, I mean, when you look at what it cost for this thing to run, and what God did during that time, and the money kept coming in and coming in and coming in. You saw the faithfulness of people. And I, for one, was very grateful because the pressure of it all is insurmountable when you see you can't come to church anymore. What's going to happen? You, you just don't know. I remember during COVID, and I shared this when we went to the Gospel of John, I won't remember the exact numbers, 
But I remember we just had to do things here. Remember, it was the carpet. I think it was the gates back there. It was something. There was multiple things we had to do. And right before the year end, in COVID, I remember, I think 2021, there was three or four different people basically either told me they're putting this in or handed it to me. They handed it to me about, I think it was either, I think it was $64,000. It was perfect amount of money almost to the dollar to pay for all these things that we had to do during COVID, during COVID. And so I've watched God just take care of us. I've watched God protect us. And you know, there's this motto, and I, I live by it too, that I learned from another pastor. I didn't come up with it. And I tell myself whenever there's pressure and stuff that we're going through here at the church, I always tell myself, God, new beginnings was your idea. It wasn't mine. And so since it was your idea, you've got to take care of it. Because it's, it, it, I, can't, I can't carry it. I can't carry these things. And that, that, just that statement has saved me many times. But just like, you know, we have a protector, so do you. And God protects all of us. And he carries us through things. And when we're in it, it's not the best. And it's not fun. But when we've gone through it and we're out of it, we sure can thank God and glorify God even more than we're already glorifying God through it. Any amens on that? So we, we, have, we have a protector. We have a protector. Let's go to verse 2. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake. These to everlasting life, but others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. It's quite a contrast. Those, verse 3, who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven. And those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Now, there are different types of people in this tribulation time that Daniel is being told about. And I've got the four in your notes here, so here we go. Um, the first group of people are people whose names are found written in the book. First you find people whose names are found written in the book. The question is, what book? You know, what is it? So keep your marker here, and let's go to Luke chapter 10. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Go to Luke 10. When you're in Luke 10, say, I'm there. Okay. So in Luke 10 and verse 20, notice Jesus says this. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. So there's this recording of the names of people that are followers of Christ. Um, Revelation 20, uh, I'm going to hold off on that because we'll go, I, I think you know enough about that, but uh, we find that there are, um, there's a recording of the names of the people of God. Now, it's not an actual book. If people say he opens a big book, that would be a huge book, right? I think it's more just like they're recorded, all right? And, and, and that's what it is. Um, but this, let's go to the second group of, of, of people, and that is uh, people who died during the tribulation. So now you've got another group. First you have people whose names are found written in the book. Then you have people who died during the tribulation. And, and now, and let's turn now, let's turn to Revelation chapter 20 and verse 4. There's two different groups that are resurrected to judgment. Listen again. There's two different groups that are resurrected to judgment. Two different groups 
that are resurrected to judgment. Now notice this one first. 20 verse 4 of Revelation. Then I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus, and because of the word of God, and who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand, and they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. First off, sidebar, the Antichrist will chase people down who will not take the mark in the tribulation period, and according to this, they will be beheaded. In other words, you could probably imagine the pressure they'll be under when they see a guillotine or something, because he's going to try to force people to take that mark. And I, I, I'm sure people will give in and say, well, I'll take the mark then. So nobody wants to go through the tribulation, okay? Because that will be one of the pressures that people will face right there. But this first group, verse 5, and the rest of the dead did not come to life until a thousand years are completed. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who, who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death, say second death. Second it's a very important statement. Second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. So now, you've, in here, what you're seeing is the first resurrection, the resurrection of the righteous. They, they, they come to life. But there is also a second resurrection, and there's going to second death after that. Look at verse 11 of chapter 20 of Revelation. Watch this. This is the great white throne. It says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away. And no place was found for them. Verse 12. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books, plural, according to their deeds. Now, there is going to be this, um, there's a resurrection of the believers to life. There is a resurrection of the unbelievers to be, to, into the second, what's going to happen is the second death. There's going to be this final judgment after the thousand year reign. That's what's going to happen. I don't want to go far into that because that's not our teaching for tonight. So let me just leave it at that. Now, the third thing in your notes is this. People who have insight. The third type of person in, in, in um, Daniel chapter 12 he's talking about, people who have insight. So this is, I'm going to tell you right now, what I'm going to tell you on this one is, it's an I think. I can't prove this. It's just an I think, okay? And, and, and so I'm going to leave it like that. So the people who have insight that he's talking about in verse 3 of Daniel chapter 12, that seems like it would be in the tribulation period, people that come to Christ. People will come to Christ during the tribulation period because 144,000 Jewish men are evangelizing the world. Moses and Elijah are evangelizing the world. So people are coming to Christ. And it seems like the people in the tribulation period who have insight, these must be the ones who get saved in the tribulation, and thus they're in the tribulation. And so therefore, maybe these are the people, because they shine brightly, these are the people that once others start coming to Christ, these will now encourage others to keep walking for Christ despite all that's going on, all the insanity and the hunting down of these people. That's my speculation. I can't prove that. 
But it just kind of makes sense to me that that might be what he's talking about. But nobody can really tell you these, who these people really are. The fourth bullet point is this. People who lead others to righteousness. And you find that at the end of verse 3. There's people who actually lead other people to righteousness. Now who could these people be? I think it's pretty obvious. And that is, there's going to be some gutsy evangelists during the tribulation period. Don't you ever see that during hard times you always have some gutsy people? that always step forth and they're just not afraid and they're willing to risk it all and they're going to lay down their life and do that. So I think these are those people. That they're just gutsy and they're, they're, maybe the one's getting saved and, and they're just coming forth and, and, and they're not afraid. And so God here is remembering them. And he's remembering what they're doing. Though they're forgotten by the world, they're being remembered. Now when I was, um, when I was this, uh, a youth pastor, we, now we call them student ministries pastors, but I was a youth pastor, and um, this was a long time ago in a land far away. And Julie back there, she was in my youth group back. Hi, Julie. She was actually my secretary, too, in the late 80s for the youth group. And I remember I, I read this story. Back in those days, I shared in the youth group, Julie, you will not remember, it's too long ago. And I thought it was the coolest story. And it was about this missionary couple. And they were in their 80s. Oh, Josh, you were in my youth group too. I didn't see you there. They were in their 80s. And they were coming home. They were retiring now. And they'd been on the mission field decades and decades and decades. And they were coming across, because this is a long time ago, on a ship across the ocean. And when they came and the ship docked in port in the place where they obviously left from decades ago, they saw, you know, some pretty high-ranking, high-profile people in, their, in, their, in, in the country at that time getting out of the ship. And there were many people applauding these people and waiting for them and waving them on and everything. And in the story, the missionary, he saw all this. And he said, God, it's not right. I've served you all my life. I've been out there 50 years of my life. And we come back and these people who have never served you a day are getting all the applause and recognition and everybody's welcoming them. We come back and there's no one here for us. I come home and there's no one here for us, God. It's not right. And then the missionary said that God impressed this upon his mind. That God told him, it's because you're not home yet. It's because you're not home yet. And when you finally get home, when you finally get to heaven, there'll be a celebration like you've never seen. And that's what we got to remember. Look, we're going to be forgotten one day if the Lord tarries. And the things that we do for God, maybe nobody sees. But you know, when we finally get home, we're going to get the big welcome. It's going to be the applause of heaven because it's like, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. And isn't that really the applause you'd rather have yeah, it's the one you want to hear when you get there. Amen. So you're not home yet. Look at verse 4 now. Let's continue. But as for you, Daniel, conceal these words and seal up the book until the end of time. Many will go back and forth and knowledge will increase. Now, why would God, here's a question, why would God tell Daniel to seal up a prophetic book? Wouldn't you want that book to be open and people to read it? It kind of is like, that doesn't make sense. Well, let me tell you why it does make sense. Because in ancient times, once again, you got to go back and understand how the original hearers would look at this. 
And so what they would do, you have the original document, and then you'd make copies off the original, and you'd seal up the original, so you'd always have the original. So if anyone ever tried to challenge this and say that's not true, you'd go back to the original that's sealed up that nobody could tamper with, and so you'd always see that, no, this is true, and this is the way it is. And that's what it's talking about here, that this thing is sealed up, the original sealed up. But you have copies of it that people can read. But that's not the interesting statement of that verse. The interesting statement of that verse is that uh, people will travel to and fro and knowledge will increase, right? Did you catch that statement? There's two ways to look at this, this idea right there that people will travel to and fro and knowledge will increase. The first way to look at it is this way. We, uh, this is end times, as you approach the end times. Can people travel all over the place, be on one side of the world, the other side of the world, in one day? Yeah, they're travel- people are traveling. All- you ever see those maps of all the planes over just the United States in one day? It's incredible. People are traveling everywhere. I mean, it's just to and fro. And knowledge will increase. Has knowledge exploded in the last hundred years? You better believe knowledge has exploded. That is one way to look at that. Is it the way? I don't know. The other way to look at that is this is that Daniel would like to know what this thing, what this vision means. He's going to want to know certain things. So the idea of people traveling to and fro within the context of what's being said here is that there'll be people as time goes by that are back and forth trying to figure out what did God mean by this to and fro. And as we progress and progress and we get more understanding, such as when John the Revelator, 600 and some years later, will write Revelation, that'll give more understanding to the scroll here in Daniel, so knowledge will increase, and therefore people will begin to understand what is being written in Daniel more and more as time goes by. Did that make sense? So that's a possibility also right there, but you could take your pick on either one of those. Now, verse 5. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others were standing, one on this bank of the river and the other on that bank of the river, verse 6. And one said to the man dressed in linen, who is above the waters of the river, that's pretty, that would be interesting, huh? How long will it be until the end of these wonders? So Daniel is standing on the bank of the Tigris River. Do you remember that he, he started there? Back in chapter 10, he was standing, Daniel was standing there. And now he's back in the spot where he actually began. This whole vision, this last vision that God gave. Have you ever gone back to the spot where something began in your life? You ever done that? I try to do that. Whenever I go back to certain spots in my life that were markers of my life. And how many of you follow me on Facebook? You just, okay. You, know, you could raise your hand higher, Sylvia. It's okay. It's okay. Like, uh, I posted one a couple weeks ago when I turned 44 years in the Lord, not, not my full age, but 44 years in the Lord. And because I was, um, I was at a certain spot. And the spot was 32 years ago. In fact, this month. It was 1991. And I went out of town. I'll tell you, I went to Laughlin. I went by myself. It was a week that John had his honeymoon and we didn't have Bible study, so I went there. And the reason I went there, I went by myself, is because I needed, I I know now that if I'm going to write this book I need to write, I need to go by myself. And I can get a room there real cheap. And I don't like to spend a lot of money on stuff if I'm just going to be by myself and write. And I had to go somewhere where 
there would be no temptation for me to do it. I don't want to be by myself anywhere. And I, where I wouldn't even want to go outside because it was like 116 or something like that. And trust me, when I walked from the front of the Edgewater to the Aquarius just to eat, I thought I was going to die. I thought I was in hell. <laughs> it was so hot. But I thought, I'm going to go to the spot, because I stayed at the Edgewater, I'm going to go to the spot out in front of the Aquarius. Because it was 1991. I'm going to go back to this place where I remember something, a marker in my life. And I remember we had gone on vacation. We went up to Tahoe. And then we came down. And it was my last vacation. I was leaving the ministry job that I had at New Hope, which was, which was Calvary Christian Center. And uh, I was wrestling. I was wrestling. And I put this in that post on Facebook. I was wrestling with planting the church. And the only reason I was wrestling with it is because somebody had challenged me and told me in a one-on-one meeting with me, they said, and this is what they told me, they said, it is not God's will for you to plant a church. And that's what they told me. And here I am, I'm a 35-year-old young man, and uh, I said, okay, I'll, I'll seek God one more time. I'll do it one more time. And so when we got there, we were there hanging out, and Olivia's going to bed. I said, Olivia, I'm going to go downstairs by myself. I'm going to sit out at the river. And there was a bench there. It's not in that spot anymore. But I sat on that bench at 2 o'clock in the morning. I was by myself. And I'm just talking to God. I go, God, I, 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 I think you want me to do this. I, I think you want me to do this, God. I, I, I don't. I, I, and then it, was, it progressed to, I know you want me to do this. Is it the scariest thing I'll ever do in my life? Yes. Yes. Because I'm leaving everything. I'm leaving a job. I'm leaving security. I got two kids a house payment. I'm leaving everything. But I know you want me to. And I, and I left that spot, and I knew that I knew that I knew. This is it. This is what I got to do in my life. This is what I'm supposed to do in my life. And, and so when I went back in July, I have to go visit that spot. I got to go back to that place, that marker, where something was solidified, where I knew it, and uh, where me and God had this encounter with each other. And I think those places are very important in our life because they're the markers. They're what we remember. It holds you steady in your future when things start to get rocky and you know that you know that you know, no, God, you told me to do this. You told me to do this. And so we're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. So we find Daniel. He's back at the place where he began in this vision at the Tigris River. And I find it always fascinating. Stuff like that happens. Now, there's two other people there with him besides the pre-incarnate Christ, besides the angel that Michael came to. Remember when Michael came in chapter 10 to fight the prince of Persia and let the other angel come? And speak to Daniel. Now there's two other people show up. So there's four people there now. So it's getting to be a small group there with Daniel. And so now the question, and, and they ask a question. They ask, how long till the end of the vision? As we, as we read in uh, verses 5 and 6. How long till the end of the vision? Now notice they didn't ask, you know, is this really going to happen? No, no, that's not what they asked. They said, how long till the end? In other words, how long till this final horror that's going to happen to the nation of Israel? They want to know what's going to end, this, this terrible situation. Have you ever in your life told God, God, 
When will this trial end? Wouldn't you like to know when you're in it, when it's going to end? I mean, that's what everybody wants to know, right? God, okay, God, just let me know. What day is it going to end? I, so I know when I can be okay again. But you never know, right? You never know. You just know there's going to be an end, but you don't know when it's going to end. I mean, I, I've shared this story with you a couple times, I'm sure on Sundays, but I was going through that. I was going through a five-year trial, and it was 2016. It was, um, it was early January, and I was in it five, five years. It was five years. It was, it was rough. It was really rough. And nobody knew what I was going through except for a handful of people. My wife knew. Uh, she knew that one night I was ready to resign senior pastor because the pressure was too much. The opposition was too much. And um, yeah, within New Beginnings. Uh, because I was, I was steering the church to try, because I knew I was getting older. And I could see that. And I'd seen other churches get older and pretty soon they had no more young people and then who's going to be the last older person to, to lock the door, turn out the lights, and that'd be it. You guys know what I'm talking about? And I didn't want that to happen to something that I knew God had me start. And so I made a hard turn at New Beginnings to try to put young people with us older people into key positions. And that's why you see a lot of young people on stage. This is by, uh, by design. And that's why you'll hear me say periodically, look, us older people, the music is not our music. So don't try to sit there and say, why aren't you playing the songs? I No, no. You and I are missionaries to a younger generation, and that's why we tithe. Amen? To reach the younger people. So don't complain about it. If you're another old person complaining about it, just say, quit being cranky old person, okay? <laughs> just tell them, stop. Because we're reaching this next generation. It's very, very important that we do that. So I'm in this trial, and it's rough, and it's rough. And I'm like... This is bad. This is bad. I mean, like I said, I remember I took Olivia out to Macaroni Grow one night because I was going to tell her I'm resigning in the morning. I was done. I was finished fighting. I was done. And because it's not easy to turn a ship that at that time was already, I think, 21 years old. It's hard to turn a ship because the ship's going this way. It's hard to turn it. But I was turning it because I felt like, and I knew God had told me to do this. And so... Um, and so I, so I was ready to give up. So I go to this, this meeting uh, for pastors. And after the, 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 the guy preaches, it's John Harkey, so you know, remember who he is. And he called people up for prayer. And I went up for prayer. And uh, I didn't know him. He didn't know me. And he begins to pray for me. And he says, some of you remember the story. He says, um, Jim, you've been up and you've been down. And you've been up and you've been down. And you've been up and you've been down. And it's been 60 months. He said 60 months. I'm a math guy. 60 months is how many years exactly? It's five years. And I was telling God, God, it's been five years. He said, it's been 60 months. And then he said these words, but it's over now. That is over now. And I remember walking away from that like, thank you, God. Thank you, God. See, God couldn't tell me when it was going to end but he could tell me when it, when it actually ended. And when you're in the middle of it, you don't know when it's going to end. I wish I knew when it was going to end. I wish I could tell you when your trial is going to end and mine, but you don't know. But you do know when it's over. You do know when it's finished. They are looking into They want to know when's it going to end. So let me show you some. Mm, no, I better move on. Let's go to Daniel verse 7. Um, 
He says, I heard the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river. As he raised his right hand and his left toward heaven, he swore by him, capital H, God, who lives forever, there would be for a time, times, half a time, and as soon as they finish shattering the power of the holy people, all these events will be finished, completed. They'll be done. Now, the man dressed in, in linen comes here. And um, he's also from, from chapter 10. And he says, when they want to know when's, when's it going to be completed, he goes, there'll be a time. Remember? There'll be a times and there'll be a half a times, which is how long? Three and a half. But we know it as the last part of the tribulation period or three and one half years. That's what we know. We've studied that many, many times. So that's going to be the end of it as they look to the future, not from where Daniel's living, but in that future time. So the great tribulation period, we know it's seven years, but the last three and a half years is, is, is going to be worse, but then it's going to come to an end. Keep your finger here. Once again, go back to Matthew 24. I want to reinsert something here, two things really quick. We're going to read it and, and hit back to Daniel. So Matthew 24, look at verse 22. Watch what Jesus says about it. We read it earlier, but now it might click a little better. Verse 22, about the tribulation and everything. Unless those days had been cut short. In other words, is there going to be an end to it? A definite end to it. Absolutely. But he says, if they weren't cut short, no life would have been saved. Now stop right there. In other words, if there wasn't a time limit put on that last three and a half years, would anyone even survive? And the answer is no. So God puts a time limit on that. There will be an end to that tribulation period. After three and a half years, it's going to get a little bit more interesting. Go back to Daniel. And one more verse on this time period thing, time limit. Look at chapter 11 and verse 45. We read it last week. He says, He will pitch the tents of His royal pavilion between the seas and the beautiful holy mountain. That's Antichrist as He's going into the battle of Armageddon. Yet he will come to his end, and no one will help him. In other words, will there be an end to the Antichrist's reign? Yes, in the battle of Armageddon. We studied it last week. So there is an end moment in time when things are going to happen like that, where it's enough, and guess what? At that moment, that's when Jesus comes in the second coming. Amen to that one? And we come with him. Now, look at Daniel chapter 12. And Daniel's pushing, he's taking us home now. Verse 8, as for me... I heard, this is Daniel, but I could not understand. So I said, my Lord, what will be the outcome of these events? He asks, he goes, how long? He says, I don't understand. What will be the outcome? What does Daniel want to know? What does he want to understand? What's the result? What's the deal? Give me some understanding on this. And watch what God tells him. It tells him what you and I don't want to be told. Verse 9. He said, go your way. Daniel, for these words are concealed and sealed up until the end of time. Are you kidding me, God? Wait, you give me all this and now you tell me, go, go my way? You know, they said, just go live your life. Go live the way you've been living. Live right for God. Now, I'm not going to delve any more into that statement because the last verse of chapter 12, I'm going I'm to delve into it again because it comes up again. Now look at verse 10. Many will be purged purified and refined, but the wicked will act wickedly, 
And none of the wicked will understand, but those who have insight will understand. Mm, Interesting. As we hurtle toward the end of time, as we get towards the great seven-year tribulation, and in those tribulation period of time, the godly people in there getting saved, and even us right now, we will be purified and we will be refined. Has anyone ever experienced that? Yeah? Your life? Purified? Refined? Anybody? Okay, good. Okay, good. That's what's going to happen to godly people. But then he says the wicked people, they're going to continue in what? In wickedness. And they will not what? They won't understand. So don't expect wicked people, unbelievers, to do the right thing or to even understand you as a follower of Christ. Amen? They will not understand. Guys, think back in Daniel chapter, I think it's chapter, what, chapter 3, chapter, yeah, chapter 3. Nebuchadnezzar, remember, he becomes like an animal. Because he rejects God. Remember that? You will not understand. Some may be wrong on the understanding. James, or Jesus' half-brother Jude, in the one-chapter New Testament letter of Jude, he says that the unbelievers are like unreasoning animals. They're animalistic. You saw that with Nebuchadnezzar rejecting God. And don't you look around now, and some of you think, that's almost animalistic-type thinking. Anybody? You're seeing this because you're looking at a world that, that, like Isaiah said in Isaiah 5.20, woe to those who call good evil and evil good. What used to be good is now considered evil. What used to be evil now considered is, is good. And you and I sit back and go, this is insanity because the wicked will continue to do wicked things and they will be, like Jude said, unreasonable animals. They have no reason left. It doesn't make sense anymore what they're thinking. Now watch this, verse 11. From the time that the regular sacrifice is abolished and the abomination of desolation is set up. There will be 1,290 days. He's giving you some specifics, huh? The moment the Antichrist walks into the temple, it's got 1,290 days to this whole thing shutting down. Now, here's what's interesting. They went by the lunar calendar. The lunar calendar is 30-day months. 30 times 12, 360. You do the math on that, and you find that three and a half years is not 1,290 days. It's 1,260 days. You got 30 extra days. What's up with that? You have 30, the Antichrist walks in the temple three and a half years, boom, it ends, second coming of Christ, but you got 30 more days. But wait a minute, look at the next verse. How blessed is he who keeps waiting and attains to 1,335 days. Then he has 45 more? Now you're going like 75 days extra? What's that all about? What could that possibly even mean? Let me give it a shot, okay? When Jesus comes back to earth, when we come in the second coming, He's going to set up his kingdom and his government and his reign on earth. Jesus will be here, glorified body, in the physical for the thousand-year millennial reign. Correct? So the moment he returns at the three-and-a-half-year end right there, maybe, just maybe, just maybe, just maybe, that extra 75 days is the time it will take to establish and set up the government of God on planet earth, you and I will be manning the governments of God. Did you know that? Did you know you will have responsibilities in eternity? Did you know that? 
And de- I, look, depending on what you did on earth here, how you serve God, that's what you're going to get. Look, I'm going to be the governor of California in the millennial reign. <laughs> and I'm going to fix it, okay? I'm going to fix this state. So come back. So you can call me Gov right now. It's okay. I'll, I'll accept it. But maybe, just maybe, we, it's a 75-year day period to establish the government of God. No one will be able to commit sin anymore at that time. It's pure righteousness. We are the Clint Eastwood enforcers at that time. You got that? And that's what it's going to be because it will be over because Satan will be bound for a thousand years and he can't tempt anybody to do anything. Now, let's drive it home, okay? Verses, last verse. I cannot believe that I'm finishing another book. But, but as for you, Go your way. There it is again to the end. Then you, Daniel, will enter into rest. No, you're going to die. And rise again. Ah, so Daniel understood resurrection, didn't he? For your allotted portion at the end of the age. Okay, let me finish with this thought. Daniel wants understanding, does he not? And God says, nope. You just go your way. You live your life for me. You keep doing the right thing. It's okay. I don't need to tell you. I, I don't need to give you understanding. You just keep doing what you're supposed to be doing for me. That's it. Who does it remind you of? Does it remind you anywhere in the Bible of somebody else? Peter. Remember Peter at the end of the Gospel of John? Jesus starts talking to him because he's now reconciled with him because Peter's going to be one of the main cogs of the church age, at the beginning of the church, I should say. And he's telling Peter, you know, when you're young, you're able to do what you want to do. But when you're old, others will take your hand and take you where you do, do not wish to go. You follow me. And, and the, the whole thing is that, you know, Peter's going to probably die a martyr's death. Others will take you when you're older. And then Peter, that doesn't sit well with him. And he's walking on the beach with Jesus, and there's John. And then Peter turns and he says, and what about him? I'm going to die a martyr's death? What about him? And Jesus says, basically, whatever I choose for him, that's none of your business. You just follow me. You worry about you. You worry about what you're supposed to do for me. And don't worry about him. Which is very wise. Because if we start looking at other people, we can feel like this is not fair, right? No, no, no. You worry about you. Jim, you worry about you. You just do what I tell you to do, Jim. And your life's going to be okay. Your life's going to be okay. I'll take care of him, and I'll take care of you you guys just follow my will individually. And that's what you do. Anyway, book over, Del Campo out. <laughs> Let's go ahead and pray. Thank you, Lord God. Lord, as we move now to Joshua next week, as he enters that promised land, Lord, the things that are going to happen and the picture of, that whole of, of the whole series of events and how it relates to our life. And we thank you for this prophetic book of Daniel and how much insight it gives us as to the future. And it, it, and it also reinforces the reality that the Bible is a supernatural book.
How could it have got prophecy after prophecy after prophecy on the money way into the future? Thank you, God. And thank you, Lord, for this day. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all said, If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.